Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. And welcome back, everyone. This is the X-Zone. I'm Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send an email, X-Zone at XZoneRadioTV.com on all social media sites, X-Zone Radio TV. And to find out about the X-Zone Broadcast Network and the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365, visit www.xzbn.net. And we're coming to you around the world tonight on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio. Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, Simul Radio, and Simul TV. Explanation, our two guests this hour are Joey Medea and Tanya Medea. And uh, to both of you, welcome to the Exone. Thank you. We're real happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, ladies first. Tanya? Uh, I am a uh, psychic medium, Mm -hmm. an author. I'm also a massage therapist and yoga teacher. And how did you get involved in the paranormal? Well, the paranormal just kind of has been happening for me since I was really young. Mm -hmm. So basically from the time I was, as early as I can remember, uh, around the age of five, I had experiences happening and they just kind of followed me my entire life until sometime in my 40s I decided I was going to figure out what it was all about. And how about you, Joey? What's your background, and how did you get involved in the paranormal? So I actually come from a performing arts background. Um, I'm a content creator Mm -hmm. uh, with a specialty in the mechanics and structure of storytelling. And I had a very mundane life as far as nothing paranormal really happening. Um, When I was 16 years old, had a very odd experience with a Ouija board. But it wasn't until I got together with Tanya, and we wound up visiting Point Pleasant, West Virginia, that uh, the whole world of the paranormal opened to me. So that's been probably about 10 years. So I understand that that you've written a number of books, Joey. Tell us about them. Okay, so <clears throat> so I've written um, some nonfiction books about the mechanics of storytelling. Right. written a couple of fiction books. So one is a Knights and Dragons tale, sort of like a J.R.R. Tolkien kind of thing. The other one is a postmodern fallen angel vampire novel. Um, and then with Tanya here, we wrote a book just this past year called Watch Out for the Hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina. And what is the most haunted library in all of North Carolina, Tanya? The Webb Memorial Library, which is located in Moorhead City on mm-hmm. the Crystal Coast of North Carolina. 
Now, why did you decide that this was going to be the focus of a two-year investigation, uh, Joey? So it didn't, you know, really start out that way. It was a lot of synchronicity and happenstance. So Tanya's been um, subject to the paranormal, a sensitive her entire life. Mm -hmm. And when we got together, she sort of acts as a psychic battery for places. So it's not that we have lived in a series of haunted houses, but we're very sensitive. And in the past 10 years, being with her and our daughter, who's also a psychic medium, she's 19 years old, um, we began to experience more and more things. So we began to investigate. We had an we had an experience nine years ago with an interdimensional being in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and then we were mentored. We were lucky enough to be mentored by the likes of Rosemary Ellen Guiley and other people like that. And so when we moved to the Crystal Coast of North Carolina as a content creator, I got together with a historical education company, and one of their mothballed events was this investigation where you could take the public into this very haunted library. So Tanya and I had an audition with the owners of the program, which we passed. And it was about a year into it that we really realized that there was a book here because we were amassing so much data across such a wide spectrum. And it just turned out that exactly lasted two years, the investigation. Now, what formal training do either one of you have as professional investigators or scientists? Tanya, you want to start? So, as Joey mentioned, when after we had seen the interdimensional being in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, um, mm -hmm. we spoke to some locals in Point Pleasant who, who knew of some paranormal investigators. Right. And they connected us with those individuals. Um, one of whom, who Joey mentioned, was Rosemary Ellen Guiley. But there were several other people who had been doing this for quite some time and, and had amassed just decades of research, experience, and so forth. So um, they really trained us. We went on several investigations with them and just kind of observed for, for several years and just watched what they did and took notes. Okay. Um, and then Joey and I, of course, have just been reading about and studying about a lot of these things. Uh, my grandmother was a psychic medium. She taught me from a young age about a lot of things that I now apply uh, during our psychic investigations. Well, well uh, hold on here just for a second. So to answer my question, you have no professional training in either the art of investigation or science, right? Well, no professional training okay. in science. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, Joey, what makes the web library so haunted? So there's several factors. Um, it's in close proximity to salt water, mm -hmm. the ocean, um, the Crystal Coast. The Crystal Coast is the tourist name of that area. The other name is the graveyard of the Atlantic. So there are over 5,000 shipwrecks, including 350 from German U-boats in World War II. So there was a lot of evidence corresponding to that time so a lot of maritime related hauntings um, from the oil tankers that were um, um, sunk by the u-boats there were a lot of burn victims that we encountered there was a hospital right across the street that then became a nursing home there were two doctor's offices on the first floor of that building before it became a library so mm -hmm. again a lot of sickness death a lot of grieving um, <clears throat> there was a nefarious 
guy upstairs who ran the uh, what was a um, textile training facility up there, and I think his imprint is there. And the design of the building um, creates what we believe very strongly to be a portal. Plus, there's a radio tower across the street. So it's a sort of a perfect storm of different uh, paranormal elements all coming together. So what would the life of a nefarious textile uh, a merchant have to do with the paranormal? Like, was he killed there? Was he murdered there? Or was it just he was a rotten guy and he was in that building? Great question. Um, of course, you know, there's no way for us to, to know because we mm -hmm. weren't there. However, many of the experiences that not only myself but other psychic mediums who came in there um, had and the information that we picked up was that, yeah, he just basically wasn't a, a nice guy. Um, he looked, took liberties with the ladies. And that seemed to continue for him even in the afterlife. Mm. Many of the women who encountered him on the second floor would, you know, feel hands on their legs and thighs, feel their buttocks pinch, things like that. Um, so, yeah, he just wasn't a nice guy, wasn't happy in life, wasn't really happy in the afterlife. I don't believe that he died in the building. I don't believe that he was murdered in the building. But for whatever reason, um, that's where he chose to spend time in the afterlife has he been identified we have not been able to find finding historical records uh that identify specifically the people who worked in that we were able to to definitely document the existence of the training facility but finding names of the individuals there mm -hmm. no we weren't able to do that we were with some of the other individuals in the building but not him so i guess my question is how do you know for a fact that the the feelings that some investigators are are reporting are actually from him. Well, like I said, just the psychic mediums, including myself, mm. we we saw him and we encountered him and interacted with him. All right, so, so there's just based on our experience. Okay. Um, We've got to take a commercial break coming up, so please stand by. Exonation, our guests this hour are Joy Medea and Tanya Medea. Their website is www.newmystics.com. Don't forget Exonation. The Exon TV channel is available on Simul TV, 724-365. We've got some great uh, shows on there. We have some great documentaries, everything for anyone who's interested in parapsychology. If you'd like to find out more about the Exxon TV channel, visit www.simultv.com. Now, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue with our two guests this hour, talking about the paranormal, the strange, the weird, and the bizarre, and the web library. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Our guests this hour are Joy Medea and Tanya Medea. Their website is www.newmystics.com. Joy, why did it take two years to conduct the investigation in the web library? Well, <clears throat> we didn't set out to, to say two years, but um, it was... Uh, it just kind of wound up that way. Uh, we would we went in uh, 80 separate times. We brought about 500 people in there. We spent about 150 plus hours. And towards the end of two years, we really kind of felt like we we had, you know, with any kind of temporal um, investigation, you sort of feel like the some of the data is becoming redundant, that mm-hmm. you've sort of uncovered everything that you're going to uncover. Right. And because it came at that at that time that it was about the two year mark, we were relocating. Um, it seemed like a good time to bring it to an end. Earlier, you were mentioning that you believe the library also has a portal. Where does this portal go and what kind of evidence do you have that there is, in fact, a portal? So the evidence is multi-level. I'll tell you a little bit about it, and then sure. I'll, I'll have Tanya put in. So if you and your listeners are familiar um, with the Asian concept of feng shui, right, yeah. how you, yes, locate things in space. Well, if you take two mirrors or two windows and face each other, it could thin the veil between our dimension and another dimension. So at that, now keep in mind, Tanya is a psychic medium, and she can see um, spirits and ghosts, um, they would come in, Tanya, you say it's like the, the spirits coming down the stairs in Poltergeist, yes? Right, so the hallway on the second floor ran from the south end to the north end of the building, and as Joey mentioned, two mirrors, uh, not mirrors, two windows facing each other. When I would look down the hallway, it would basically just be rows and rows of, of spirit people walking down that section of the library and yeah it very much reminded me of the scene in the movie poltergeist where they're just kind of descending the staircase like one after another that's very much what it was like um we did have one tool that we would use during our investigations would be our smartphones and um you know we'd frequently hold up the camera and if i was seeing something um you know psychically but not necessarily with my naked eye we would hold up the camera and then the facial recognition square would often come up where I was seeing an individual. Well, in the case of that hallway, there were several instances where I was seeing the people walk down the hallway and we would hold up the cell phones and like many squares would come up um, for the facial recognition software and they would move. All right, so answer me this. How can 
face facial recognition take place when there's no face? Exactly. No, I'm asking you how that happens. Um, so the facial recognition is designed to to frame and try and focus in on an individual's face. Right. So I'm not sure, you know, what it was picking up, but it it would always come up where I was seeing the face I see. of the individual standing so, there. So as a as a filmmaker. Rob, I can tell you that the the camera eye being mechanical sees things in different ways, sees colors in different ways, mm -hmm. um, interprets shapes in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something going on there. We also, too, um, use a PSB-11, which is a spirit box. <laughs> okay. And on the spirit box, that was the one place in the library where you would get the greatest diversity of male, female, old and young, foreign languages, accents, and on several occasions, different voices came through that spirit box saying, this is a portal. Um, so that was that was another piece of evidence. And then people would see that hallway, almost again to use a cinematography terminology, a Dutch angle. Mm -hmm. So where you would turn, like probably the most famous example is on Star Trek where the ship would get hit by a photon torpedo and they would shake the camera back and forth to make it look like the ship was shaking. Yeah. So people would feel vertigo, they would feel like they were sliding down the floor, and on a few occasions, they actually saw the dimensions of the hallway change. So so they were suffering from some sort of hallucinogenic uh, reaction? Um, that's hard to say. I know for me, mm -hmm. I'm almost like a human EMF meter, oh. so my solar plexus, my um, chakra system would definitely kick in in that area and and it it was it was a physiological reaction mm -hmm. not so much hallucinogenic how old is that building the building was built in 1929 wow it's pretty old pretty old yeah and there was there was a build, the man who built the building mm -hmm. his family had a house on the property going back many many more years than that do you know if the building was ever examined for black mold that is a really good question. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I would say it's still a working library. Um, so I would assume that as a working library, there would be some, you know, some maintenance that would take place. Well, maintenance really wouldn't, maintenance really wouldn't uh, discover black mold. Black, black mold is usually behind the scenes in between the, uh, for example, in some homes, black mold has been found between the... Um, the gyp rock or the drywall right okay. and, and the right. Uh, yeah. and the braces and so on anyway that yeah. because of what you described also are symptoms of spore poisoning from black mold so right now now the people would now I'm an I'm not an expert in that mm -hmm. but the people that would come into the library with us would only spend about an hour and a half in there right. and we're in that part of the library within the first 45 minutes let me ask you this uh, the I, I would imagine the library was open during the day. Oh yes, yes. yep, six days a week it was okay. a working library. Yep. Did anybody suffer any of these effects during the daytime? Yes, there were reports of of sightings of ghosts, books falling off the shelf, people being touched. Uh, I no, uh, I, I uh, meant I'm flying off the wall. I meant oh, the physio sorry. physiological effects that you just mentioned. Oh, um, a feeling of, people would get a feeling of unease mm -hmm. um, that was hackles and things like that, especially on the second floor. 
So why do you think this place is, is still haunted? Why do spirits or those who purport to haunt these places stick around? Why don't they just go? Well, it seems to me that most of the people that we encountered there at the library mm -hmm. had either some sort of attachment either to just, um, you know, who they were as a living person. Right. And they just weren't ready to let go of that. Um, some of them had an attachment to the place itself. For some, it was a combination of both. We also encountered people who just seemed to be confused and, and weren't really aware yet that they had passed over. We encountered a couple of people like that. Um, so, And some of those people, I believe, had passed from the nursing home that was across the street there. Why would people who died across the street haunt the building on the other side of the street? I don't understand that. A great question. So again, we talked about all the different elements of the web library with there being a portal, mm -hmm. um, just really the entire area, which that particular area is called the promised land. It spans several blocks. Mm -hmm. So we did speak with many of the people who grew up in that area and they would come and give us their accounts of not only the library, but they would say, you know, not only is this library haunted, but I grew up two blocks down and my house was very haunted as well. So I don't think it's just the library. I think it's that entire area there for whatever reason. You know, who knows? Like nobody can really say why is any particular place more active than any other place. But, you know, we just have some theories about why that would be. Now, were building inspectors ever brought in to you know, to try and work out on why there were problems or why there was hauntings or why these phenomena were happening? No. Um, other other paranormal groups would go go in. It's a well-known um, paranormal hotspot. There's also high strangeness attached to it with UFOs, interdimensional beings, spectral MIBs. Mm -hmm. But no, it was. it's never... It's never been a problem. It's not a place where people are in danger. So it's a tourist, um, uh, a tourist location. Um, oh, geez. They would prefer, I think, that it was not a tourist location. But it does have a bit of a reputation, especially since our book came out mm -hmm. five months ago, um, drawing even more attention to it. But never a situation where it was so problematic that they would feel like they needed to bring in someone to solve it. Isn't that strange? Because if people are getting sick, or there's an, uh, uh, the possibility of a health hazard in a building, and the proprietors of the building or the municipality isn't interested in finding out what it is or what is causing it, I find that as a cause of concern. Well, I'm not sure that really anybody got sick, per se. I think people had, you know, sensations that lasted mm -hmm. until they, you know, exited the building. But it's not like the staff who worked there were becoming ill or anything like that. It was just in that specific area on the second floor in that one part of the hallway where people would get vertigo and so so forth. But I don't think that people were becoming ill. Right. Like chronically ill. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. And it would be a two-story building? Yeah. It is. With, with a basement. Mm -hmm. And a roof. Um, and the basement yeah. was the most inactive area of the building and it was small and cramped and sometimes we brought as many as 20 people in there so we didn't spend a lot of time in the basement but mm -hmm. but technically it's yeah two floors and a basement all right stand by we've got to take our news break exonation our guest this hour 
are Joey and Tanya Medea. Their website is newmystics.com. And we'll both be back, all three of us, on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and you're listening to us on the iHeart Radio Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, Simul Radio, Simul TV, and of course on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Our guests this hour are Joey and Tanya Medea. Their website is newmystics.com. What was your most uh, exciting or fearful experience that either one of you had at the uh, at the web library? Wow, there, there were several. I would probably say um, my first encounter with the gentleman that we discussed earlier on right. the second floor. Okay. Um, yeah, he was, he was pretty intimidating at first. And then over time, I decided that really he was just a bully and I wasn't going to be intimidated by mm-hmm. him. But those initial encounters with him were pretty frightening. He would, he would sort of lunge at me and scream in my face. So That's not very nice. No, it wasn't very nice, and uh, I wasn't the only one. As I mentioned, uh, some other psychic mediums mm-hmm. who came along with us on various investigations had similar experiences with him. But it seemed like after a while when I was just kind of unfazed by it and decided that, uh, you know, I just wasn't going to uh-huh. let him ruffle my feathers, it, it kind of subsided. So that was good. And for me... Um, about a year into our investigation, so the summer of 2017, there were some UFO sightings in conjunction with some sightings of interdimensional beings or experiences we had in the spectral men in black that I mentioned, following which for about two months, we had what I described as a, a horde of angry male spirits that congregated on the opposite side of that portal hallway. And at one point, we almost shut the investigation down. They were very unsettling. They would curse and threaten mm-hmm. during the um, uh, through the PSB 11, through the spirit box. Um, they really made people feel uncomfortable, especially women, um, that they were being looked at, um, that they were their space was being invaded. And to me, that was the most frightening thing. They weren't demons. 
they were nothing but but spirits and ghosts of passed on men who who had retained their anger in the afterlife and had sort of congregated together on the heels of this other high strangeness. So why? What's the difference between a ghost and a spirit? So a ghost is really someone who hasn't moved on yet. So like I mentioned before. Ghosts are spirit people who really still have an attachment for whatever reason. They might be attached to a location. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I think they're still attached to their personality, the, the ego of who they were when they were living. Um, so they've decided for whatever reason that they're not going to move on. Um, spirits, on the other hand, have moved on um, and are you know what we consider on the other side in the spirit realm with um, the other spirit people who assist us, guides and so forth. Um, and they can come and visit us, but they don't dwell here on this plane. Okay, so why would they be together and why would they kind of be angry? So we were able to communicate <clears throat> with some of them. Mm -hmm. One we knew for sure felt like he had died too young and was... Uh, robbed of his life and he was very very angry about that right why we feel like they congregated goes back to the idea of this portal so if you're and i'm a storyteller so so i, I deal know, yeah. in metaphor sometimes to help mm -hmm. you know illuminate these these abstract ideas but the way i see it is a lot of it is is the darkness and here is this light this portal that's on and i think they get attracted to it and I think because of this foreman who was very, very angry, when he left, I think it, it kind of caused a void. So we had a, um, a Toltec-trained shaman who we were close with that we had studied with for a long time. He came to the web to visit, and he said that that textile guy was sort of like the grumpy old uncle. Well, a grumpy old uncle in a family does serve a purpose. He kind of kind of keeps everybody in line, and if anybody's going to be grumpy, it's going to be sort of him. Right. So when this textile guy moved on, I think it kind of opened up a void where some other things came in. And like I said, um, through through MUFON, we found out that it, around right. that same time, there was a UFO sighting. Uh -huh. So there was this multi-layered high strangeness, and I think the energy of that second floor, because of the death, because of the suffering, because of, of that textile guy, it like attracts like sometimes, and I think that they wound up clustering there for, for a time. So why did they stay on the other side of the street? Why didn't they enter the building and go to where the portal was? Oh, oh, they did. They, they were in the building. So when I say the opposite, I'm sorry, when I say the opposite end of the hallway. So the entrance of the portal, which faced the, ho the, the hospital, which yeah. just beyond the hospital was the water, so you had the water where oftentimes the UFO sightings were. You had the hospital that became the nursing home. Across the street, then you have the window, which we think served as the portal into the library. Gotcha. Then when you went down that hallway from south to north, at the mm -hmm. far end of that hallway, that's where they congregate. I'm sorry I wasn't clear. Um, the UFO connection, can you tell me about that? Sure. So there were two different instances where we had the UFOs come in, and I just want to check my notes here so I get the dates right. Sure. So, so one was on, and you can check this on the MUFON website, was October 1st of 2016, 
And that's before we really began to experience some elevated activity on the second floor. The second one was on July 13th of 2017, and that was a new fork report. So for people who don't know, that's the National UFO Report Center. And eight days after that is when we experienced the interdimensional being and the spectral MIBs. What was, you know, describe the interdimensional being. Go ahead, Tom. So... <laughs> When I was initially seeing this being, I really um, couldn't get my head around it. So I really didn't say anything at the time to the group because mm -hmm. it was just so weird and unusual that I didn't say a word about it. On that evening, there was another psychic medium with us, yeah. and she was looking at the same spot that I was looking at, and she turned at me and said, Do you see that hairy, fanged creature standing there? What is that? And it was, she described exactly what I was looking at, although, like I said, I didn't say anything because I had no idea what I was looking at. Um, but it basically looked like a stocky, uh, round-bellied, fur-covered, pointy-eared, humanoid creature. Um, it made absolutely no sense to me, but um, that's what I saw. How come... How come it was only the psychics who saw that and not the rest of the we investigators? Were, we were seeing it psychically, so we weren't seeing it with our naked eye. So as a medium, when I see spirits, mm -hmm. I see them in my mind's eye more than I see them, you know, just like standing there with my naked eye. So yeah. myself and, and some other people um, did hear it. We heard the breathing and we did hear the low growl. So I do have what's called clairaudience. Boy. So I can hear some of these things, although I can't see them. And oddly enough, um, two or three days after that visit, they had a flea infestation at the library, which could have been coincidence. And it opens up more questions than answers, because how does an interdimensional non-corporeal being attract fleas? Mm -hmm. But I can only tell you that that was the sequence of events. All right. Have either one of you actually seen a UFO? And I don't mean via psychic abilities. I mean... You know, like using yes. your eyes. Yes. And were that was that sighting in any connection with the sightings that were reported by Mufon or Peter Davenport at the NUFORC? No. No, not there. The um, sighting that we had was in Morgantown, West Virginia, on I-79 in 2010, 2011. Uh, we were driving north on I-79 and there was a craft that hovered above our car as we were doing about 70 miles an hour and on the underbelly of the what looked like a fuselage of this craft were all different colored lights like red blue green yellow it stayed with us at about 70 miles an hour it was maybe 20 feet above our car it stayed there for about 45 seconds and then shot off did you take any photos? We were driving, so no. And at that time, we didn't have, like, smartphones. I see. Um, yeah, so no, we didn't. I mean, we were just just baffled. Did you make a report of the sighting? Yes, I did. I reported it to MUFON. Not to the police? No, not to the police, because, <laughs> I mean, what are the police going to do? The same like, thing, MUFON will do nothing. Well, no, but, I mean, I'm certain the police couldn't really do anything about it either, so. No. Uh. I guess. Um, so you, you've 
you've both had a lot of different experiences over your lives. You know, you've had the experiences with the portal, the basically the men in black, the hauntings, the the uh, the uh, what else have we had here? The interdimensional being. Why do you think? And I'm going to ask you this question. And when we come back, I'd like an answer from both of you. Why do you think you, and not the rest of the population who has never seen or ever heard anything? And we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My guests this hour, X-Zone Nation, are Tanya Medea and her husband, Joey, and where their website is newmystics.com. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, send me an email, X-Zone at xzoneradiotv.com. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Exo Nation, uh, three new TV shows on the Exo uh, TV network uh, channel starting in February. Number one, you have Paranormal Court TV. Number two, you have Ghost Diaries. And number three, Witness to the Paranormal. Also starting in January, a brand new radio show here on the Exo Broadcast Network, Heart to Heart with Dan and Angela Clark. For all the programming information that we have and all the new shows we have coming on board, visit www.xzbn.net. Tanya and Joey Medea, our special guests, their website is newmystics.com. I guess one of the problems that people have when it comes to understanding the claims of those who have paranormal experiences, how can something that is invisible not, you know, uh, touch you know, how can somebody feel the sensation of a hand when there's nothing there that they can physically see? How can you hear footsteps when there's no mass? How do we? How do you answer these questions? Well, I guess the first thing I would say is, you know, there are a lot of things that exist in mm -hmm. the universe that we can't see, but yet they exist. Such as? Uh, electricity. Yes, um, but we also know how electricity works. Right, but I'm, just because we haven't figured out how this works mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily negate its existence. But if but if paranormal so, investigators are able to have conversations with spirits or ghosts, can't they tell how this works? Well, we're we're developing some theories, and and I think that um, quantum physics comes into play. 
Mm. Everything is energy. And we are in a in events in a dense energy, low vibrational because we're contained in this in this heavy matter suit that we call the human body. Once we're released from that consciousness, energy, right? Energy is neither created nor destroyed. It simply changes form. Um, we do have sensing systems in the human body that go beyond the typical five senses. And but how do we? Re- I, I understand. I understand the aspect of quantum physics. Right. But applying that to the world that we know right now, how do we justify the claims of paranormal investigators? Through, I think, through the cross, through the cross tabulation of data. So you do have voices come through PBS, uh, PSB 11s. You do have psychic mediums who see and hear these things. They are energy, so they are measurable. Um, there is some photographic. Every now and again, there's some video or foot photograph mm-hmm. um, evidence. There, there is the reports of hundreds of thousands of people probably through time uh, organizations like MUFON and all of that it's really hard to ignore that something's going on because so many people are seeing it and they're not getting anything out of it they're getting questioned their sanity is getting questioned and and you know because I can understand it because you know all these claims that are made are without any established scientific verification you've got a bunch of people out there making claims, no disrespect men, but who really have no idea of what they're dealing with. They are not fully trained investigators. I was a police detective. I worked criminal crime scenes. I know what is involved in, in, in the establishment and the maintenance and securing of, of evidence. You know, it takes years. You know, you just can't go on the Internet. or, or I, I don't understand how people can actually not understand why John Q. Public is not as enthused about their findings as as the paranormal investigators are when there's no member of the scientific community that I'm aware of that has actually reviewed the evidence that says, you know what, ghosts are real. Right. Well, I'm sorry. I completely understand what you're saying. Um, You know, just because we currently don't have the technology, mm-hmm. you know, maybe in our lifetime, in our lifetimes, there will never be the technology to, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, confirm yeah. the existence. You know, all I can tell you is that for people like me and mm-hmm. many people that I know, many people that I work with, right. we know what our experience is. I personally don't care whether anyone believes me or not i'm just telling you my truth this is what i experienced it's totally up to whomever you know whether they want to believe that or not that's fine that doesn't affect me at all but i can tell you that there are a lot of people who have these experiences and they want to understand at least like what is this or you know what i mean like why am i having this experience so there are a lot of people who do have these experiences Mm -hmm. nobody can say with any kind of certainty you're absolutely right there is no scientific way right now to really break this down and study it Mm -hmm. and find out exactly what's at the heart of it but it doesn't mean that people aren't having these experiences um and it also doesn't mean that that these people are imagining them or that they're hallucinating or that they're crazy. 
at all. But, and but I, I think that there so, are a lot of people um, out there who have experiences mm -hmm. and they're afraid to, to even talk about it. But what them. happens? What happens if all these investigations keep going on and there's no evidence to substantiate any of these claims, scientifically or otherwise? Rob, so I'm... Here's, here's my feeling. Okay. I, I agree with Tanya that we're not um, evangelists in the sense that it's not our mission right. to convince anyone of anything. Um, but I do believe that it is our responsibility. So I have a background in social justice, in creating plays and material to present for young people where the stakes are very high. So although I'm not a, a trained police detective or a forensics yeah. or trained in science, mm -hmm. I do know how to research, how to interview, mm -hmm. how to cross-tabulate data, um, to use you know people's experiences, the electronic experiences, mm -hmm. the historical research. So in our book, and one of the highlights for the publisher was the fact that we have two chapters where in detail we talk about the different forms of research that we're using. So I'm pretty confident that Tanya and I have um, a certain integrity mm -hmm. that we bring to it. We understand the difference between cynicism and skepticism. Right. I am skeptic. I, I'm just starting now after almost 10 years to be able to see glimpses of non-corporeal beings after never being able to do that before. I think though with NASA mapping portals, I think with D-Wave Kratom quantum computers where Jordy Rose, who's the CEO of D-Wave, is talking about going into parallel dimensions, mm -hmm. I think that it is time to, to close the gap and to have conversations where these things are possible. And it's, it's always interesting for me where people say, well, the scientific methodology does not substantiate these things. I think we're dealing with something where our current scientific tools are maybe not applicable or or up to the demands of this, and we need to start looking at legitimate alternative, like the cross-tabulation I'm talking about. Why shouldn't historical research, interviews with people, you know, we have to make a decision, you know as a detective, when you interviewed somebody, you had to make assessments on whether or not they were telling the truth. Based well, on, based on the evidence, based on evidence. Right, and, and we have, we, over the course of the two years, as cataloged in the book, gathered a lot of evidence that that was not a standalone thing but we tried to at least try to triangulate as mm -hmm. much as we possibly could so what is your what is your ultimate hope after people read your book hmm that i guess that they start at least considering the possibilities of these things or if they're going to go off and do this work themselves that they adopt um, some integrity of doing it because unfortunately some people have read the book mm -hmm. and then gone out and thought that they could do it and, and and didn't apply the techniques and do the proper energy protections and things like that and had some had some problems so I think it's twofold that that people will start thinking about these things because we take them very seriously as we take anything else in our life Tanya is a licensed healer in a lot of different yeah. healing modalities um, I'm formally trained through college and 30 years of practical experience in the things that I do with storytelling, teaching, training, advocating. Um, and we brought those same integrity and that same sense of responsibility. Um, we don't make any hard or fast comments 
uh, or, or uh, you know, someone read the book and came back and said, I really wish you had buttoned this up better. And I said, but you really can't because this is a thing that we're just trying to begin to really understand this phenomena. So it would be irresponsible to say that's definitely what this is. All right, I want to thank you both for coming on to the show tonight. And Exxon Nation, if you'd like more information on our guests, please visit their website at www.newmystics.com. And here's another example of people who really have no training whatsoever, spending two years in a in a library that, let me see, is haunted, has a porthole, they've encountered, there's been UFO activity, they've witnessed a UFO uh, let me see, what was that? Uh, the UFO was about 20 feet above their car. It stayed there for 45 seconds, and they didn't bother to call the police. All they did was make a report to move on. Whoa, now that's what I call credibility. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Maybe one day, Exxon Nation, maybe just one day, we'll get somebody who wants to do more than flog their books on this show that actually knows what the hell they're talking about. Wouldn't that be nice? I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast but the rest of us sleep in this is your sign to thank them and if you're that friend this is us saying thank you now get a sausage McMuffin sausage biscuit sausage burrito or hash browns choose two for $2.50 enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2 price of participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal single item at regular price ba -da -ba -ba -ba. 